You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today we're continuing our series on, uh, we, we, we began it last week, the series title is On Purpose, and we're looking at a story that is a, uh, I think one of those that's a little bit hard at first to kind of understand the full depth of what's happening because it's a significant moment in the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, but there's two things at work in this scene. Uh, one is what the enemy, the devil's trying to do, and one is what God's doing. Uh, and often in our lives, there are two things at work. There's two forces at work. Uh, in fact, it gets even more complex because we have our own will and our own choice, and, and many times people around us have uh, plans for our life, you know. Uh, and so we, we, we find out in the place that Jesus was uh, that he was in a place of testing. And in fact, we're going to read in Matthew's version of this today, Matthew chapter 4, uh, and, and the subtitle, if you're taking notes, is Nothing to Prove. Last week, we looked at uh, what I called the appetite test, uh, the appetite test. And uh, well, before we, uh, you know, before I describe it, let me just read this to you. Matthew chapter four, verse one, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness. And, and before we move on, I just want to point out, this is why this story is so weird for me, because Jesus was led not into a place first of, of, of celebration and public acclaim and, and recognition. Uh, he was brought into the desert. He was brought into the wilderness. He was brought into a hidden place. And I spent a lot of time unpacking that last week. But the hidden season doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you, doesn't love you. In fact, the hidden season is often necessary for what God's trying to bring you into. And it's at that in-between place from where we started with a promise and nothing but a prayer and where God is bringing us into a purpose that God brings about what, what I don't think anybody would ever say amen to or celebrate, but it's a place of testing, not in a bad way. See, the devil tests to destroy, but God always tests to qualify. God tests to promote. He doesn't test to cause us to fail. The enemy always tries to undermine our faith, test our, our confidence in God, test our, our relationship with God and others. And the enemy tries to undermine and test our character. But God tests to build up, promote, and bring us into what he's trying to do. Listen, without a test, we can't be ready for what God wants to bring us into. My son's about to uh, take his driver's tests in the next couple of years, and he's getting ready for that. I took him out driving for the first time, and before he's ready for something he's wanted his whole life, and I'm not kidding, his entire life to drive a car. Uh, there's a testing. Why? It's not to hold back, but it's actually to prepare. And in your life and mine, God is no different. He loves you enough to prepare you for the promise. And that's why Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit to a place of testing and in and, 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 and a moment where he'd be prepared for the, his ministry that he was going to carry out over the next three and a half years before the cross. But it says Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, this is what the tempter had to say. The first test is what we looked at last week. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus answered and he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to Jesus, said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, this is now Satan quoting the Bible, it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. There's one more, which we'll look at next week, but, but I want you to catch this, because the first test was the test of appetite. The first test in your season of being prepared for your purpose, going to the next level in your faith, your confidence, the purpose of God, confidence in God, your relationship with God, all of us are meant to grow. Uh, we're all created to move forward. We're all created for more freedom, more purpose, to, to draw near to God in a greater way. But in between where we are and where we're going to be, where God wants to bring us, there's a test. And the enemy knows that. That's why he comes with a test to undermine, destroy, and, and deceive and take us out. Uh, but God also has a purpose. You're in the desert on purpose. You're in that season on purpose. Purpose And Jesus comes, or God comes in our life for this purpose. He comes to prepare us, and the first test in both cases is the test of appetite. It's the test of what are you going to fulfill your needs with? Are you going to, we looked at the importance of self-control last week. The way to pass that test is with self-control. Self-control is when we refuse to meet a legitimate need from an illegitimate source. When we refuse to meet a legitimate need from an illegitimate source, Satan tests him and says, if you are the son of God, and that's, by the way, the same thing the enemy always tries to do is call into question the word of God and our identity in Christ. That's what the spiritual warfare of your life is always over those two things. And, and so the first test is the issue of appetite to get us to go after and feed our life and pursue things that are short-term temporary and are like a snack instead of filet mignon. I, I realized last week I kept saying, don't, uh, don't settle for Cheez-Its when you have filet mignon. Somebody thought I said Jesus. <laughs> I have to correct that in case you thought I was preaching heresy last week. Cheez-Its and Jesus are very different. Okay, anyway, um, the test today, though, we're looking at is the insecurity test. Like, what a weird temptation. I'm, I'm not going to lie. When I read this, and I've read this for years, I've preached this passage, I've studied this, and I, I just think it's a little weird because this would not be much of a temptation to me, at least on the surface. Like, here's what Satan does. Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of, of, of the temple, to the pinnacle of a high point in Jerusalem. And he takes him there and says, okay, here's the test. Here's the temptation. Throw yourself off. Do some parkour. Like, just jump off the top. Like, that, I don't know why that doesn't seem like it's very appealing. Like, last week, I understand. You're fasting, you're hungry. That basket of breadsticks looks really good. But what's the test that, that Satan's bringing to Jesus? Well, I think it's the test of trying to prove himself. It's the test of insecurity. It's the test of trying to, to prove who he is. And, and I'll, I'll just, so when I was in, I think this was third grade, we had a new candy. At least it was new to me. And uh, this new candy was Atomic Warheads. Anybody remember Atomic Warheads? Like when I was in school, man, they, they bust these out. And it was actually a test of manhood. 
If you don't know what an atomic warhead is, it's, it's like the name describes. It's meant to be an intense experience. And so it's these super sour hard candies. And now as an adult, you know, I, I have no problem. I can, I can get through it. And I'm like, why was this such a big deal? But for some reason, my, my innocent taste buds in third grade had never been tested the way they were tested with that. And we'd like, you were, you were a man if you could get through holding on, keeping that sour, bitter candy in your mouth. And it would be so sour that your eyes would start to water and you'd start to, you know, pucker up and you're clenching and you're like, I just got to get through because everybody's watching. And then you're rewarded. Once, the, once that wears out, the sourness wears out, it actually tastes halfway decent. But it really was not about the sour. It wasn't about the taste of the candy at the end. It was actually all about proving you can hack it. Like, like you, if you really are tough, you're gonna hang out with it. You're gonna be able to, you're gonna push through with this candy. And I'm just telling you, in our life, as silly as that is, there's lots of things that the enemy comes along and says, I want you to prove. I want you to prove it to them. I want you to prove it to yourself. And he comes to Jesus and says, essentially, I double dog dare you to jump off, throw yourself off. Now, some of you like to skydive, and that's like, sounds like fun. Like on my 50th birthday, I am gonna go jump out of a plane. If God wanted me to fly, he would have given me wings. <laughs> so, so when I fly, I'm inside of the plane. Why would I jump out of the plane that people spend a lot of time, effort, and money to build so that I stay in? I'm not jumping out of it. And yet we have that same pressure in lots of areas of our lives to prove out of a need of insecurity. And if you're going to go to the next level, you have to be at a place where you don't try to live for the approval, for the recognition, even to prove it to yourself. You got anybody in your life that's a one-upper? You know what I mean? Like if your kid won a trophy, their kid won too. <laughs> if you went on a vacation, they went, on, they went on a better one. Like you're in conversation with them and, and maybe you had a bad day. They had a worse day. And, and no, can I just tell you, if, if maybe you are the one-upper. Nobody wants to talk to a one-upper, by the way. <laughs> Satan comes along to Jesus and, and he, he's... He says, well, if you're the Messiah, if you're the son of God, if you go back in the Bible and history, Moses parted the Red Sea. Elijah prayed fire down from heaven. Like every major figure, every prophet of, of the Old Testament usually had some kind of a sign. And so Satan comes to him and says, well, if you are the son of God, prove it. Prove who you are. Here, show us a sign. Throw yourself off. In fact, it would be the same thing the religious leaders would come later along the way and they would come to Jesus and say, to the same Jesus who opened blind eyes, who healed the sick, who raised the dead, like on the regular. They came to Jesus and said, show us a sign that you are who you say you are. Like, I, I don't get that either. I'm like, don't you see the miracles? <laughs> okay, don't you see what Jesus just did? And you know what Jesus does not do? He doesn't ever try to prove himself. He doesn't ever try to prove himself to cynicism. He doesn't try to prove himself for agendas. 
He doesn't try to prove himself. And here's, the, here's why. He actually comes back with this statement, you shall not test the Lord your God. When you live with something to prove to somebody else and even to yourself, because sometimes our issue is not what other people think, we're trying to prove it to us. I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna do it differently. I'm gonna be the best. And we have in our minds, we have something driving us and whatever you perform for will actually control you. Last week, the issue, the test was all about appetite. Whatever feeds you controls you. Today, it's about insecurity and whatever you perform for in life is what's gonna direct your life. It's what's gonna set the course and set the tone. If you live your life based on how other people see you, you'll miss how you're called to live which is based on how God sees you. When we base our life on making someone or something else happy, we miss the opportunity to make, live for making God happy. Philippians chapter two says this about Jesus. Philippians chapter two, verse seven. Jesus made himself of no reputation. That's the, that's the complete opposite of what we do, what I do when I'm trying to prove myself. I remember years ago, I was in a conversation with somebody that I knew well, uh, but they didn't know everything that I was walking through and, and stepped into, I was stepping into a new season and, and, and it was entirely because God told us to step into a new season. And, and it was it, entirely based on, you know, we had, uh, we had been you know, faithful and working hard in an area and, and God told us that season was over and we were, we were moving and we come to this new place and somebody I've known for years comes up to me and the first thing they say is, oh, I heard everything didn't work out for you. <laughs> and do you know what somebody like me at that time was, when we want to prove ourselves, you know my response was about to be, what are you talking about? Things were great and, you know, this is why. And, and I wanted to justify and explain and immediately the Holy Spirit. Have, have you ever had the Holy Spirit like check you? Yeah. Get you like you're about to say something. My kids have started doing this. My, my son, my middle son, Will, the other day, he was about to say something to me and then he like, he kind of choked. He was like coughing and he goes, maybe God doesn't want me to say it. I said, that's a life lesson right there. I've had to learn that too. And, 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 but the Holy Spirit brought this verse to my mind as I'm about to open my mouth and try to protect my reputation or at least create one. Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men. Jesus humbled himself. He had nothing to prove. You know, confidence, we'll talk about confidence in a moment, but confidence doesn't demand attention. Confidence doesn't need to prove itself. There's a bad confidence and there's a good confidence. There's a righteous confidence. But there's a reason why when we live our lives based on, I've seen this in 18, 19 years now of ministry, people live for the opinions of others to the point where they'll buy a car they can't afford They'll pursue opportunities they don't even want, but somebody else wants. They'll, they'll hang around a crowd of people that are actually holding them back from growth, but it's because they're afraid of what people will say and what they will think. We, live, we, we do all kinds of things in our life because of what others think instead of what God thinks and what God has called us to do. I know lots of people that won't take a step of faith because they're worried about what their friends and their family and all that, and, and, and all of that may be fine, but here's, you, you have to recognize there's something that happens many times in following God. Sometimes it means going into a desert all by yourself where nobody but God will understand. 
And we need, I believe, to get to the place, to, to walk in our purpose, we have to get to the place where one, we, we can say with total, complete sincerity, I love you, but I'm not impressed by you. And we have to get to that place in life where we begin to say at that place where I have nothing to prove to you. I love you, but I don't have anything to prove. And I believe when we can go to that place, the fear of man loses its hold and insecurity becomes something that can no longer keep us from moving forward. And I'll just tell you, this isn't for somebody else. This is for all of us. Insecurity is something every person I've ever met, including me, has worked through. If you think you're the only one who's insecure, that's insecurity, okay. But if you think you are, you're not the only person. And sometimes how people deal with insecurity looks like they're confident, but it's actually a counterfeit of real confidence. I don't care what anybody thinks, but maybe you actually really do deep down and you're pushing people away so they can't hurt you. They can't leave you. They can't disappoint you. Okay. And like I said, sometimes I don't even need to prove it to anybody else Sometimes the biggest critic, the biggest one I'm trying to impress is my own self. I'm trying to prove it to me. I'm gonna change, I'm gonna do it different. But as long as we try to perform, we won't have peace and we won't live in purpose. Those things will be fleeting. Does God care about our reputation? 100%, absolutely. Here's what God said to Abraham. I will make your name great. If God didn't think the name of Abraham was important. Why would God say that, say that to Abraham? Put that on the screen, Genesis 12. He says, I will make your name great. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Do you know in Genesis 12, the chapter right before this, it introduces us to the Tower of Babel, chapter 11. And you know what the problem with the Tower of Babel was? There were a lot of things. Do you know what they said when they were building the Tower of Babel? They said, watch this, go back to 11. Yeah, let us make a name for ourselves. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? God says, I'm gonna make your name. I'm gonna promote, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring about my purpose. But instead of allowing God to do it, we try to do it. Not, not you, second service and... I'm gonna make my name great. I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna build. I'm gonna advance. And as long as we're trying to make our name great, we're not giving God an opportunity to do what only he can do. It is important to have a great name, but you know what the test of the devil always is? It's the shortcut. Just like I told you last week, the shortcut. The enemy comes along and says, I know there's bread in your future that God himself has provided, but why don't you take a shortcut? Why don't you settle Esau for a bowl of soup and sell your birthright? Why don't you settle today for what, what, what in fact, that's gonna be as a part of the third test, spoiler alert. <laughs> He's gonna offer a crown without a cross. Like that's always the test is a shortcut to your purpose. Prove it, Jesus, you're the son of God. Instead of letting the father promote it. And I, I think it's interesting that the devil does something that would also probably surprise us. He quotes the Bible. Because we can spiritualize dumb decisions. 
We, we, can, we can take one, do you know you can make, you can take any, you can take one verse out of the Bible, just one verse, and you can make it say just about anything you want it to say. People do it all the time. I hear people that don't even know God, they're like, well, this is what the Bible says. I'm like, have you read it? I, I, I know you're the talking head on TV and you think you know what it says, but that's not what it says. Because we can take, that's why the Bible says of itself, in the mouth of two or three witnesses. They'll just take one verse and go, well, you know, should I make this decision? Well, here's, what, here's one Bible verse, and that's going to prove my point. <laughs> I'm going to create a whole doctrine off of one verse. Satan quotes scripture. I think it was in Shakespeare where he said that even the devil can quote the Bible for his purposes. I, I can't tell you how many times, and listen, I'm a guy who I think the number one directional influence in our lives has to be the word of God and the voice of God, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. That's not for just like some, some other person that you think is more spiritual. God wants to talk to you. He wants to lead your life. He wants to guide your life. He wants to give you purpose. But can I just tell you, there's been a lot of decisions I've seen people make because they really wanted it so bad that they justified it with, well, God told me to do this, but God didn't tell them to do that. They just wanted it really bad. And I've had this in conversations. People come and they'll say, Pastor, God told me to do this. What do you think? Well, why are you asking me if you're opening the conversation with God told you to? <laughs> do you know why? Because if I disagree with them, I'm not disagreeing with them. I'm disagreeing with God. That's why, that's why, here, let me give you a quick thing. This is not my sermon, but it's free. Okay. <laughs> how do you know if something's God's will? Here's the first test. Here's how you know, especially directional things. Is it biblical? Well, God told me to do that, but it conflicts with what the word of God says. Well, can I just tell you, the Holy Spirit is not confused about what's in the Bible, and he will not tell you something that's contradictory to what God's word says. Okay, so, so is it biblical? That's the first thing. That's the first test. But you know what the, the, the next thing is important? Is it biblical? Does it bring me closer to Jesus? Or does it pull me in my relationship with God? Does it push me toward God or pull me from God? It may look good on the surface. The opportunity may look better in the natural, but, but does it draw me closer to God? Like we make decisions all the time in life off of, uh, off of natural opportunities and that's fine. But the question is, will it, draw, will it build my relationship with God? Will, will dating that person draw me closer to God? Let's get real practical. Will, will, will having this decision, this career choice, this place, like, like there's, there's, I've seen people literally uproot their family from something that, where they're growing and they're walking with God and uprooting because, well, maybe this is pays more. And, and in the short term, that may be fine, but in the long term, what's the cost? So does it draw me closer to God? Does it make room for more of him and his purpose in my life? The next one is also important. Do I have peace about it? I know we're pressured every day to make decisions, but do you have peace about it? I've learned that if I don't have peace, I don't proceed. We can make decisions out of pressure, even out of intense want. Like, I really want this, but I don't have peace. And we will actually ignore the lack of peace because we want something. 
the last one, uh, and this, this almost sounds contradictory, but the whole thing I've told you, but, but listen, we need people with godly wisdom to speak into. Now, now there's gonna be people in your life that it's hard to go to with, hey, should I do this? Because maybe they're jealous of something or they have an agenda or whatever. But you need people in your circle that aren't impressed with you. That'll tell you the truth. That's what I mean. You can't impact somebody, or at least it's hard to impact somebody you're impressed with. But, but what about, that's why, that's why I love my, my biggest counselor outside of God is my wife. She loves me, but she ain't impressed with me. <laughs> I've tried, it hasn't worked. <laughs> and you need, <laughs> you need some people in your corner that will tell you what you need to hear, not just what you wanna hear. And that are spiritually minded. If I went based on the opinions of people who are not spiritually minded, I would have missed the will of God for my life. We never would have started this church. There's a lot of things in life that, that will do based on what people who don't even know God many times, or maybe they're religious, they go to church, they're Christians, but they don't know the voice of God. Okay, let's keep moving. <laughs> you know, sometimes God will begin to call you to do something, tell you to do something that even to you doesn't make sense. Even to you doesn't make sense. Like, like forgiving people that aren't even sorry yet. <laughs> when they're talking about you and you just want to defend yourself. I've been in that environment. I literally, I remember years ago, I was, I was in a work environment. I was kind of a middle management position and, and, and our, 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 our supervisors above us were just like, they were aloof. Aloof is the word I'm gonna use. That's, that's the best word. Where it was like disconnected and then show up when there's a problem or to create a problem. And then all my staff underneath me, they didn't like it, but they half the time weren't even do, doing what they wanted to do either, or doing what they should have done either. And so, 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 so there's a long story to it. But one day, uh, I, I, all my staff were transferred from like almost all my staff except for like one person. And then our, our portion of the organization wasn't performing the way it was when it had the staff. And then I'm, I'm pulled into a meeting and they're like, we're gonna move you to this other place because you're just not cutting it. And they, they started reading off all the stuff that I w wasn't doing. And I'm like, I wanted to say something. Because none of it was true. Not one thing. In fact, six months later, they wanted to promote me. It was funny. It was like, but here's what I found out. Here's what I found out. If you try to make your name great, you'll miss it. Because what you make happen, you've got to keep happening. What you manipulate your way to advance into, you've got to manipulate your way to stay in. <laughs> okay, it's heavier today than I thought it would be. Okay. <laughs> but I love when God calls us. Do you know what? God will sometimes tell you to keep your mouth shut even though they're gossiping about you. Why? Because he's got something better. He's gonna do something better. And as long as you're trying to fight with your efforts, you're gonna get your results. Do you know what I love about God is he chooses the foolish things. You know, that doesn't make sense. Why would he do that? Why would he send Jesus into the wilderness when he's supposed to be reaching the nation? 
Here's what God said, Corinthians. This is, Paul wrote this, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many were wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. Why don't you tell us what you really think, Paul? But God has actually chosen the foolish things of the world. Things that don't make sense. People that the world wouldn't qualify. Why? To put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. The things, the base things of the world, the things which are despised even. God has chosen. Can I just encourage somebody that's been rejected, that's been pushed aside, that's been forgotten, that's been talked about, that's been, that's been uh, no, no. God chose you what people rejected. In fact, even Jesus, it says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You thought rejection was an end. Rejection was just a redirection. It wasn't an end. It was just, that door was shut because there's a better door. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Sometimes God's path to your purpose won't always make sense to others. And sometimes, let's just be honest, doesn't always make sense to us either. Hebrews 11, 8. I'm almost done. Hebrews 11, 8. Here's what this says. I love this. Uh, By faith, Abraham. The one that God said, I'm gonna make your name great. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. I I wish I could see that conversation. Abraham comes home to Sarah. Hey, honey, I was talking to God this morning. Yeah, what'd he say? Uh, He said, "We're we're gonna go to the promised land. Okay, where's that? I don't know. He just said, Go. He started, move, he started moving in that direction, all because of word. Not no, What does that verse say? Put it back on the screen. Hebrews 11, 8. Not knowing where he was going. <laughs> How many of you would sign up when your spouse came home and told you that? But he went out to the place that was an inheritance. By faith he did that. By faith he obeyed. Sometimes following God's voice doesn't always make sense, but it's always the best. Let me, let me give you a quick couple points and then we're gonna end on how to have confidence in your calling. Because here's, if I could just flip this for a moment, you know what sometimes the issue is? It's not even we're trying to prove ourselves. We're, make, we, we're putting God in a position where we're demanding God proves himself to us. God, you prove yourself to me. And, and God, if you really love me, you'll do this. If you really love me, you'll answer that prayer. Do you know, have you ever had somebody in your life and I, I, that, that is insecure in the relationship with you? Or maybe you, even you with them and you're not really sure where you stand with them and so you kind of over, or they over say it, they overdo it, they say, I love you like 55 times before dinner. And, and, and that's sometimes what we think with God, like God, you've got to prove yourself to me now in this moment. And I don't think the issue isn't whether or not God's faithful to provide, faithful to answer. The issue is we have allowed insecurity into our place with our relationship with God. And we don't really know and really trust his love for us. Sometimes it's an issue of timing. John chapter 7. 
Jesus' brothers came to him, who at this time, at this point, they would later believe. These are the half-brothers, the sons of Joseph and Mary. But here's what it says. His brothers said to him, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples may see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. What are they telling him? Prove yourself. Jesus, prove it. For even his brothers didn't believe. How many times do we say prove it, but it's not because of faith, it's because we don't believe. Jesus said to them, <laughs> this is challenging, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. Ouch. My time's always now. Anybody else says to me, like, can we form a support group? <laughs> like, God, I'm ready now. My time is now. Jesus says, my time's not yet come. When you live to prove yourself, you'll make decisions hastily based on proving it to other people or to yourself and you miss something greater and higher. Uh, three quick things about how to build your confidence. If you're taking notes, here's how to build your confidence. And, and listen, there's two kinds of, of confidence. There's a counterfeit confidence and uh, that would be what we would know as arrogance. Like, it can look the same as confidence, but the difference between confidence and arrogance is in the motive. It's in the intent. It's in what's behind it. David shows up to a battlefield and gets accused of pride because he says, who in the world is this Goliath who's mocking God and mocking Israel? And his brother who is perfectly content in his insecurity because insecure people will always try to tear you down because they want you to stay down at their level. They have to justify why they're settling, why they are not willing to grow, why they're not willing to be free. And they say, I know, the, I know your pride, David. David wasn't arrogant, but he was confident. Confidence comes from knowing who God is, and the difference is intention. I'll just be honest, on the outside, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. But here's the number one thing. Here's the first way we begin to build our confidence in God. Because real confidence, as a believer in Jesus, comes from your confidence in God. Uh, Jason and the team, if you come up. The number one thing is to get into the presence of God. The more time you spend with God, the more you'll get to know him. The more time you spend with God, the more confidence you'll have that he'll do what he said he'll do. Not only that, but when you position yourself in the presence of God through prayer and through studying the word of God, here's what happens. When you spend time alone with God, you're positioning your heart for him to speak to you. Well, God just doesn't talk to me. When was the last time you made room for him? When was the last time? I, I know that's true in my life. Whenever I go a few days, I'm like, man, I haven't heard from God. I haven't, I haven't been growing in the word. I haven't been growing in my faith. I always go, well, have I, have I neglected getting alone with him? That seems to always be, at least for me, that always seems to be the point where there's a disconnect. And so getting in the presence of God, and here's what happens as you get in God's presence and in his word. Do you know what the word of God says? Uh, Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. The word of God is a sword, it's like a two-edged sword, which I gave you that a couple weeks ago, but here's why I, I didn't read to this last part. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, cuts through, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. So, so it helps you. God's word helps you divide between your emotions, your feelings, your will even. 
and what's God's spirit, God's word. Keep going to the next part. And here's what it does. It's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. How do you know the difference between confidence and arrogance? It's intention. How do I know if what I'm doing is to prove myself to others and to, because I can do the right thing for the wrong reason. I can do the right thing for the wrong reason and it won't last. One day Saul has newly become king of Israel and he's ready to fight the Philistines. He gathers an army. For the first time, there's a formal army in Israel and they're ready to fight their enemy nation, the Philistines, and they gather together. And, and, and Samuel, who's the prophet of Israel, tells Saul, I'm gonna show up to the battlefield. I'm gonna offer a sacrifice, wait for me. But Saul, as he's prepared before the battle, and he's got his troops together, and they begin to look, and they see the enemy opposed, arrayed against them, and they begin to count and go, oh, they outnumber us five to one. His men begin to shake. His troops begin to be afraid. In fact, it actually says they begin to melt away and begin to hide and run. And Saul, who's the king, trying to be confident, but he's actually very insecure, he begins to make a hasty decision to keep his guys with him. And he does what was only for Samuel to do. He begins to offer a sacrifice that the priesthood would do. And that may not be significant to us, but, but why that's significant is he makes a decision based on what he feels and what he sees and who he's trying to prove it to. He does the right thing for the wrong reason. Samuel shows up and says, what in the world are you doing? And you know what Saul's response is to him? It's in 1 Samuel 13, we won't turn there, but here's what Saul says to Samuel. Well, when I saw the troops were leaving and you didn't arrive when I thought you would arrive, I felt compelled to do something. And Samuel says something that's really sobering. He says, well, God would have made your kingdom endure. This was a test, Saul. God would have made your kingdom endure for generations, but it won't last because you allowed insecurity to be the motivation. In fact, he goes on and he says, God is looking for somebody after his own heart. That would be David. David, a man who would live with confidence that was often misunderstood from people, but a confidence that came from the presence of God. The last two, once God has spoken, do, this is real simple, do whatever he says. Obey what he's told you to do. And while you obey, look for the miracle because all, God always meets obedience. He always meets us at the point of trust and obedience and surrender. And when you're looking for the miracle, this brings us to the third thing that builds our confidence in God is we build our confidence on his works in our life. As you begin to see God work, do you know how you get more confident in your life and in your walk with God? You see him show up again and again and again. There's things that used to shake me early in my walk with God that don't move me anymore. Do you know why? Because I've seen him be faithful. And my confidence doesn't come from my ability and my wisdom and my experience even. It comes from a God who is forever faithful, who says, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Let me pray for you today. If you would stand to your feet.
our altar team could come to the front. We'll be out of here in just a moment, but I want to ask you today, where's your confidence? Is your confidence in God and what he said and who he's called you to be and do? What drives your decisions? Saul, the reason why Saul failed that test is because he was driven by his insecurity. That insecurity would get a lot worse, by the way, because he didn't deal with it when he was younger. And whatever we don't deal with when we first face the test will always grow worse. But in here today, I know that there's people all over the room that maybe you're in a testing season right now. And I wanna encourage you that the enemy, while the enemy tests to destroy and to undermine and to steal, kill, and destroy in our life, God's tests are always to prepare and to promote, to call us higher, to call us into places we never would have thought possible. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.